0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone, how's it going? Ryan, uh, I'm doing great. I wanted to give a shout out right up at the top of the show to Devin Meenan's terrific uh, Breaking Bad article that he wrote and we published on SlashFilm uh, late last week. And it is all about the final season of Breaking Bad, which aired 10 years ago uh, as of a little over a week ago, um, which is kind of wild to think about. But Devin had the chance to interview Vince Gilligan, who was obviously the showrunner of Breaking Bad. He interviewed a lot of the writer-producers of the show and then also combed through a ton of interviews from the time and interviews uh, with all those people since and really painted a beautiful picture of how basically the entire final season of Breaking Bad uh, came into place. So I wanted to give that um, piece, which is really, really good uh, shout-out up here at the top in case people missed that on Slash Film. You can click on the link in the show notes to read that so let's jump right into it ryan let's get into the news let's talk about some box office stuff to to kick things off here um what do you uh, you you take the reins here what do you think is the most interesting box office thing to to kick us off
1: well i think the big one and i have a lot to say about this and there is a lot of divided opinion about this uh in and amongst the people that do what i do so Uh, Let's talk about it. The Exorcist Believer opened this weekend. Uh, It was one of the kind of really entering the year pegged as one of the biggest sort of horror movies. You know, it's the first Exorcist movie in almost 20 years. um, Directed by David Gordon Green, who directed the most recent Halloween trilogy, which was a gigantic success. Uh, It's part of what is supposed to be a new trilogy for Universal Pictures and Blumhouse within the Exorcist franchise. So this is supposed to be the first part of a bigger sort of undertaking. The movie, uh, it actually opened even lower than it was said yesterday. So it opened to $26.4 million or sorry, $26.5 million. If I'm rounding up a little bit, um, you know, which look, the movie's got a $30 million budget. That's by no means a disaster. Uh, 17.3 million overseas. So it opened to 46.2 million total. $30 $30 million budget, so look, that you make 1.5 times your production budget on opening weekend worldwide, that's a success for most movies. But as I mentioned, this is supposed to be an entire trilogy. Now, Universal bet very big on this trilogy. They had to uh, buy the rights to make this from a, a company called Morgan Creek Entertainment. They paid $400 million overall for this whole package to do this. It was a $400 million commitment. So obviously they're banking on this being bringing value beyond theaters, you know, uh, primarily Peacock, you know, probably Halloween Horror Nights and some of this other stuff. But the other things to consider here is this movie got a C cinema score. It's got like a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. It has the critics have generally not been very kind and audiences has not audiences have not responded much better. Mm-hmm. So this is supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy that now people have to care about even though I'm I'm not saying there's nobody that likes this movie but I'm saying by and large uh, people seem are going to seemingly be a lot less interested in the sequel because they're not responding super good to this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know again you take this one movie you take the 30 million dollar budget probably going to be fine. But this this is this is not like most movies. This is not like an isolated thing. There's a much bigger deal to look at here. And so there's a lot of moving parts, um, but that's kind of the very condensed version of it at the moment.
0: Okay, a couple things. So the four hundred million dollars, we should clarify that that is including the budgets of the movie. That's not just for the rights, like the yeah. I wings? wanted to sort of get into that. Yeah, like that does include like
1: basically it was a four hundred million dollar commitment, as in like we're going to commit a certain amount of resources to the budgets for these movies, to the marketing for for these movies. So like that's an overall four hundred million dollar commitment.
0: Yeah, the the Lord of the Rings show, I want to say they paid a similar amount of money, maybe even 500 million just for the rights to do it, like not even including the budgets to actually make or market the thing. Um, So this is not quite that, but it's I guess it's kind of close to that in the same ballpark or whatever. Yeah, Um, it's close to it. it, particularly for like a horror movie franchise, which, you know, you're
1: a big fantasy franchise versus a horror movie, you know, you're very different ballparks entirely. So the fact that those two things are even close is very telling.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, my big takeaway, I've not seen Exorcist Believer yet. Um, my big takeaway from this is like, this all kind of makes sense on paper. Like this deal does not strike me as a necessarily terrible deal or like a really stupid decision or anything, especially given, as you said, the success of the Halloween trilogy beforehand and horror's place right now at as, you know, the, the sort of unique spot that it's found itself uh, in the box office where it's like, become one of the most, you know, uh, I guess historically reliable, uh, genres or whatever, like all of this kind of makes sense. Like get the guy who did it well with the previous trilogy, resurrect another one, you know, all that kind of, kind of works to me on paper. Now, the fact that the first movie just did not connect in the way that they want to has me wondering if we're entering like a, uh. Like a um, God, what was the name of the final movie? Was it uh, Allegiant? You know, like a Divergent oh, yeah, series yeah, type yeah, of the scenario. Divergent thing. Yeah, uh, where um, we well, just like the final ones just never get made, but like well, they seem so pot committed at this point that like they kind of have to do it,
1: right? Let's talk about that for a second. So, so first off, I'm sort of with you. I still think that four hundred million dollar amount was a bit ambitious. I'll say kindly. But I'm with you. Like, you look at the pieces on the paper, David Gordon Green, Blumhouse, like all these things where it's like, yeah, Exorcist, you know, like it all, if you're, you know, if you're going to do any big horror trilogy, like the Exorcist is one of the, you know, maybe the cream of the crop. Like they, the Exorcist is the most respected horror movie ever made. So like, but the thing is, you got to make a good movie. (laughs) Like you can't, you know, you know, that first Halloween, 2018's Halloween, really good reviews. Jamie Lee Curtis back, like made a ton of money. So then you make a trilogy off that. But um, Fortune uh, had had done a profile of Jason Blum just before the movie came out. There was a lot of these details of this deal weren't super well known, but Fortune sort of pulled the the curtain back on that a bit. So let me just read this to you real quick and Uh, Universal had to go buy the rights from another company, Morgan Creek Entertainment, and it had to promise to make a whole trilogy. Total price tag for the deal, including the movie budgets, $400 million. Universal are on the hook for nine figures, and if the movie tanks, they still have to make two more. That's what Fortune said after speaking with Jason Blum. And since Jason Blum was the subject of that article, I'm guessing he got to look over or at least had some say in what was published or not. Mm-hmm. So it it appears that part of that deal they have got to make these two movies like they they can't get out of it. So that's what it appears to me.
0: Yeah, so I guess the question is like do they just um you know drastically drop the budgets and go straight to Peacock because I think these were originally intended to be direct to Peacock releases anyway. Um, do you think no, they just do that for, th- for the final two movies?
1: No, because again, I think that like the whole point of Morgan Creek making that deal was you're committing this. And I actually think they were, uh, theatrical and eventually Peacock the whole way through. Like, I think that was part of the deal. Um, and so I think the idea with that $400 million deal is you're saying like, I, I haven't seen the contracts or whatever, but my guess is Morgan Creek agreeing to do it with them for a trilogy was you are committing a certain level of. And you're going to make these movies at a certain level because we're giving this to you and you're not going to devalue one of the, you know, this iconic franchise by making like low budget, direct to streaming trash. You're going to, you're going to make a certain level of movie. And so I think that they are committed to having to do these at a certain level the whole way through. Um, that's what I believe based on everything I've read. I, again, I'm sure we're going to learn more here and the coming weeks, but that's what it appears on everything I've read and I and I did my best to do some digging. That's what it appears to me.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah. Wikipedia claims the second and third films of the trilogy are being optioned as peacock exclusives, but like that's Wikipedia. Who knows what the whether that's that's real or not. Yeah. And um, again,
1: maybe there might be terms in the contract where they can reapproach Morgan Creek and do the deal, but you know, based on I think that original deal, I don't think that's possible.
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay, so I I mean, I I guess like, is there anything else to say about this at this point? Are we just like squarely in wait and see mode?
1: Um, It's wait and see on some level. I think the biggest thing is that David Gordon Green had originally been made it seem like he was kind of committed to do the whole trilogy. And um, even in interviews ahead of time, he's kind of like, well, I don't know. So so it's very it's very possible that another director could come in to do the second one. I would peg that as likely at this point. Um, and I would also say that there's nothing that says Universal has to stick to this storyline they've set up necessarily so they could try to pivot in a big way. The next movie already has a title. It's called Exorcist Deceiver, and it is set for, I think, April of 2025 already. So this train is moving down the track. So I, th- I would guess that you're going to hear news of... Gordon Green stepping back and maybe another director coming in. That would be my best guess.
0: Okay, yeah, I, th- I want to say that part of that four hundred million went to people like Ellen Burstyn and uh, Leslie Odom Jr., that the stars of these movies. Yes. Um, so I doubt that they're going to do any sort of like drastic recasting or anything, but uh, because it seems like that money has already been paid out to them to some degree, But, um, but again, like we haven't seen the contracts, so we don't really know yet, but yeah. Um, but
1: it also, if they decide that it's valuable enough to like, okay, we need to like move away from this pretty hard. Like you could say, okay, fine. We paid them out, whatever. Maybe we get some smaller actors for the next one and yeah. pay a little less. I'm just saying it, it. it seems very conceivable to me that they could like try to just sort of be like, we got to change directions pretty aggressively here, uh, but yeah. I don't know. We'll see. But as of right now, it's a wait and see thing. But I think the wait and see has a bit of urgency to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, okay. So one other thing that we wanted to mention real quick is that uh, Barbie has spent 12 weeks in the top 10 and it has finally been pushed out of the the top 10 domestic box office, which is just... I mean, we've talked a lot about Barbie. Obviously, it's like one of the box office stories of the year, if not the box office story of the year. Um, just incredible stuff. And I don't really know if we have much more to add beyond that, or I certainly don't. Do you, Ryan, anything else you wanted to say uh, about that? I mean, just that, you
1: know, because we haven't updated in a while, the movie... Now sits at like 1.43 billion worldwide. Um, it uh, it is just behind Frozen Two on the all time charts, firmly in the top 20 all time. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, I just don't think any of us saw this movie doing anything near this. It is a uh, mm-hmm. it, it falling out of the top 10 just now, amidst all of the movies we've talked about over the last three months, and still being there is just you know absolutely amazing um you know the fact that uh, i i don't know it's just to me it's just absolutely incredible like it just it just it just is a good moment to reflect on the amazing journey this movie went on and and you know yeah that that that's for me the big thing
0: Speaking of the top 10 at the box office, there's a surprising movie that has now found its way into the U.S. Uh, top 10. Tell me what that movie is, right?
1: There is. Uh, it's it's surprising and then it's not. And uh, it is a hocus pocus for its 30th anniversary, uh, climbed back into the top 10 at the box office, made one point six million dollars in uh, like a little over fourteen hundred theaters. Disney, without much advertising or fanfare, pretty much just a couple of social media posts was like, hey, hocus pocus back in theaters. Um, now what's interesting is originally Hocus Pocus was released in 1993. It was released in July of 1993 for some reason that I will never understand. Uh, Same
0: reason that uh, Haunted Mansion maybe have was released in uh, July of this year.
1: I think I brought that up when it just made no, it made no sense to me in the same way that like, but yeah, so Hocus Pocus was released like against like Jurassic Park and just, you know, was steamrolled. (laughs) Um, And then it eventually, but through like Disney Channel and other things, it just became a straight up like cult classic for, for nineties kids. And as evidenced by the fact that with very minimal advertising with a lot of big movies in theaters, Hocus Pocus is in the top 10 made a lot more money than expendables for this past weekend. Just you know, to give you some, some idea like it, it, uh, you know, it's very much cementing this movie status as like, yeah, okay. Maybe initially it didn't make very much money or was a bit of a disappointment, but this movie is a stone cold classic and and a movie that, you know, you go to any spirit Halloween store and you see how much Hocus Pocus merchandise there is. You know, it's just Disney over time has made some money on this one. And I think the fact that like the one thing I would say is that the fact that Hocus Pocus is in the top 10 goes back to my thing that like I can't believe they dumped Hocus Pocus 2 directly to Disney Plus. Like, I yeah. really think that that was one of those ones where you're like, you, you made the same mistake twice. Like, <laughs> I, I you know, so like that. But uh, but yeah, so I I. Hopefully if there is a Hocus Pocus three, maybe we'll finally get it lined up where like, hey, a Hocus Pocus movie comes out in theaters and around Halloween. Um, but anyway, so that, yeah, <laughs> it's just a cool thing for people who love that movie to be like, Hey, here's some, you know, here's some recognition that this movie truly is a classic now and you know, there's there's no getting around that.
0: Definitely. Do, do you like Hocus Pocus, Ryan? Are you a fan of that movie?
1: You know, I do. I grew up, I, I, I really do like it. I, I even rewatched it last year and I'm like, this is still a fun movie. I like this. Like, I really do still like that movie. I, I I was born in 88, came out in 93. So I was, you know, kind of in the right age to catch it a bunch on cable and I, I really do like it. What about you? I don't know if that's. I don't know yeah, if that's it, in your wheelhouse.
0: It it was not. Uh, I watched it for the first time a few years ago and was kind of like, okay, like I, I I get this, but it's not really um, like a, a classic for me personally. But uh, but yeah, obviously, like it has a ton of fans, and um, you know, I, I might think that it's like slightly overrated for what it is. But uh, of course, like the nostalgia glasses or whatever um, help movies like this uh and and the disney marketing machine uh by doing things like this putting it back in theaters um helps just like yeah cement it like you said that you know its its legacy is unquestionable at this point so yeah
1: for sure like there's a yeah it's a, it's like a warm blanket to me it's like one of those things that's on cable it's like oh i remember this this is nice you know but it's yeah <laughs> i don't some people like love 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 the movie like i like it just fine but
0: all right let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back all right, so uh, a few news items I wanted to get to. Actually, there, there's two uh, Guillermo del Toro uh, items that I wanted to mention real quick. Um, one of them is that uh, Guillermo del Toro still gets bitter occasionally over his scrapped *Job of the Hut* Star Wars movie. Um, I, I don't want to really get into the whole thing because we have a lot to talk about still on today's show, but I just want to point people to that article um, with him talking about how he was planning on making this *Job of the Hutt movie, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. I know we've written about it on Slashfilm before. Uh, if you want more details, just go check out that article. Um, the one thing that I did want to read his actual quote from was a story about why he didn't direct Pacific Rim 2, which is just so nuts to me. Did you happen to see this, Ryan? Did you read the story? I did. I will say like the, all most of this interview that
1: Del Toro did with Collider just made me upset because like, who the hell doesn't want to see Guillermo Del Toro make a Star Wars movie, particularly like set in that world around Jabba the Hutt? And then secondly, what you're about to mention, like just as someone who loves Pacific Rim, this is upsetting to me.
0: Yeah, really infuriating stuff here. So I'm just going to read Del Toro's quote. Uh, he's talking about Pacific Rim too. He says, we were getting ready to do it. It was different from the first, but it had a continuation of many of, the things, many of the things that I was trying to do. Then what happened is, I mean, this is why life's crazy, right? They had to give a deposit for the stages at 5 p.m. or we would lose the stages in Toronto for many months. So I said, don't forget, we're going to lose the stages. And 5 o'clock came and went, and we lost the stages. They said, well, we can shoot it in China. And I go, what do you mean we? I've got to go do Shape of Water. So it sounds like somebody, I don't know exactly who, and he's you know, too classy to throw a particular person under the bus. But like, it was someone's job to pay the money to reserve the sound stages that they needed to film Pacific Rim 2 in Toronto, which would have presumably allowed him to make that movie and Shape of Water around the same time or, or close enough or whatever. Um, and somebody just like forgot or didn't do it or whatever. I I don't know what happened there. And maybe they were directed by somebody higher up not to do it because it would be cheaper to make it in China. I don't know exactly what the, the chain of command there was, but like, what a stupid reason for somebody to uh, drop the ball and for, you know, one of our preeminent geek directors to not direct a sequel to a movie that he clearly loves and clearly had a lot of good ideas for and passion for. It's just a one of those, like, huge missed opportunity scenarios.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because, like... Again, I absolutely I've said this a lot, like on Twitter, when prompts come up, like my one of my maybe my favorite theatrical experience of all time is I went to go see Pacific Rim at midnight with my little brother who was 14 at the time and one of my best friends. And like, just talk about the perfect movie to see with a 14 year old at midnight. Um, (laughs) Like and I, by the way, I'm not like above like acting like my 14 year old brother, like during that China fight. When the thing finally sprouts its wings, all three of us in unison were like, it has wings and just like just the best, you know, but then like the disappointment of going to Pacific Rim 2 and like that just being like one of those generic sequels that just had, I don't know. And and yeah. I got to imagine Del Toro was going to do something more interesting with it. And it's just one of those always what ifs, you know, because he's never going to go back to it now. So yeah, I don't know. Just a
0: bummer. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of, well, I was going to say, speaking of bummers, this is actually maybe good news for fans of the Spiderwick Chronicles. Uh, Disney shot and scrapped a Spiderwick Chronicles show, but now that show has actually been rescued. Ryan, tell me about that. Yeah. So,
1: um, the, you know, um, in and amongst all of, we've had to report on stuff like this way too much in in recent months and over the past year that uh, streaming services and and studios have like scrapped projects be it completed in the works whatever and yeah disney for disney plus had had made a Spiderwick chronicles tv series based on the uh, book series of the same name it was a movie made at one point um uh but yeah so so we it was reported i believe in august that disney was like nah we good even though it was already filmed and they co-produced it with paramount and i think that co-production with paramount is what saved it from being a tax write-off uh, so, um, uh, the Roku of all places has has picked it up. Um, it was announced today that the Ro- it will uh, it will air on the Roku channel in early 2024. No specific release date yet. Uh, it's an eight episode series, and the Roku channel. The good news is there is that it is a not subscription series, one of those paid for by ad series uh, 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 services. So, you know, if you want to watch this, you just you just put up with some ads, and there you go. Um, so, uh, you know, unless they eventually get to a point where they're, they're charging for subscription fees, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we know at this point. Uh, but no terms of the deal were revealed. There's no, it's not clear how much was spent to make it. It's not clear if Roku got it at a discount, but you know, a deal was made.
0: Uh, do you have any relationship with Roku or the Roku channel at all?
1: you know, I've watched some stuff on there. I watched, uh, because they picked up a bunch of that Tubi stuff that was scrapped. And one of the things I watched, it was, a it was, um, uh, uh, God, I'm forgetting the name, but it was basically about the, the, it was a show based on a book that I had read. That's all about like the decades long, um, feud between Marvel and DC comics. And they made like a, the, like the Russo brothers produced a series based on that book about a bunch of, oh yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it's something like knockout or something. I've uh, drive me nuts that I can't remember, but the book is amazing. And they turned that into a show that like Kevin Smith does the narration for. And so that was supposed to be a, a quibby thing. And then that got picked up by Roku. And um, so I watched that on there and, and I think the Roku channel is actually pretty solid streamer. Like uh, I, I, uh, my, this last weekend's tales from the box office was, a uh, Metallica's through the never and that's streaming on there. So I revisited that and, you know, so that's my relationship to it is I occasionally catch stuff on there that, you know, I, I, uh, you know, but yeah, that's, that's, what well, what about yeah, you? I was,
0: I was just going to give it a quick shout out. Cause the only thing I've watched on there is, um, weird, the Al Yankovic story, which I thought was very funny. Um, and that was like incredibly easy to access and watch. And yeah, you had to watch like a couple ads or something, but like the, um, user interface was like super smooth and I didn't have any issues with it at all. And that's the only time I've ever watched anything there. But, um, and I'm, I'm probably honestly, probably not going to watch the Spiderwick Chronicles show, but I'm glad that, uh, that it's found a home and that, um, hopefully the people who worked on it can get compensated properly and, and maybe residuals and all that since there's yeah. ads involved there. So I think that's the um,
1: thing is that, that this sort of gets people like it, it gets the show out there and uh, also, the one thing just to shout it out, the show is called Slugfest. It was driving me nuts. And then also that book is a book by T- uh, author named Tucker Reed. So uh, I would highly recommend check out the Slugfest show on Roku channel. And if you're into the Marvel ver- uh, DC stuff, that book is really great.
0: Cool. All right. So we're going to talk about DC in just a second. Right before we do that, though, I wanted to mention one more story, which is that uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon movie is coming to theaters uh, pretty soon. I think it's next month. Um, And then it's going to be streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. I think this is technically an Apple movie that's getting distributed by Sony uh, theatrically. Um, It's probably not going to get like a huge theatrical push. Um, it's yeah, mostly like an Apple project as far as I understand it. But, uh, interestingly, um, Ridley Scott is, is known for making director's cuts of his films. Uh, I think broadly speaking, the director's cuts are, have been, um, better received than a lot of the theatrical cuts. I know that's the case for things like, uh, Blade Runner and kingdom of heaven in particular. Um, but, uh, basically he's saying that the director's cut is going to be the version that's streaming on Apple TV plus, um, well, maybe there would be a theatrical version and the director's cut streaming there. I'm not exactly sure. That how would be my work. assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, a, a, a uh, director's cut is going to be streaming on Apple TV Plus of Napoleon. And he says it's over four hours long, which is um, kind of rad for people who love Ridley Scott and his projects, and especially people who really love digging into those director's cuts, those longer projects. And have, I mean, that's kind of like the perfect way to watch this, uh, it seems like, for for people who are not interested in going to see a big historical epic in theaters, you get it broken up or, or you can break it up however you want uh, in, you know, as as a four hour series essentially. So like uh, I don't know if anybody I know is going to sit there for over four hours and watch this movie. Um, I might do it if I can find a four hour chunk of time, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, I just thought that was worth mentioning. Um, There's a whole other uh, rabbit hole of conversation. We could go down about the length and all that kind of stuff, but I just wanted to, to, Put that on people's radar in case you didn't hear. Yeah, uh, about that.
1: Ridley Scott's on my Mount Rushmore, so like I'm, you know, like of directors, so I'm, I'm the target audience for this. I'm, I'm curious. I think what I'm probably gonna do is I'm gonna see the theatrical version and feel like, do I need an hour and a half more of this or like, yeah. see, but I, but I'm, 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 I'm happy Ridley's getting to do his thing
0: yeah definitely okay right all right so let's get into the the big i guess story of the day uh i had no idea this was coming this story dropped on variety earlier and it kind of like upended the the slash film newsroom a little bit because we we're figuring out how to best cover <laughs> sure this stuff did. <laughs> um there's a big mess with aquaman 2 aquaman the lost kingdom is coming to theaters in december it's the final movie in the the it's the final um uh, entrails or whatever of the Snyderverse. And uh, we've written a lot about how this set has been pretty chaotic and there's been a ton of reshoots and all this kind of stuff. And Variety today released this big report about... uh Our headline is, The latest Aquaman 2 drama suggests a chaotic set, near firings, and a deranged letter from Elon Musk. Um, there's a lot of stuff to go over in this. Uh, I-, I feel torn about this, Brian, honestly, because... Some of it is like true, you know, behind the scenes um, Hollywood uh, production stuff that actually kind of feels newsworthy. And then a lot of it to me, because it involves Amber Heard, who is playing Mira, reprising her role as Mira in Aquaman 2, a lot of it feels like kind of leftover toxicity and misogyny from the whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial and the, the utter chaos that that let loose on the entire internet and how like everyone in the world lost their minds while that trial was going on. And uh, it just brought out like the worst parts of seemingly everyone on earth. Um, it kind of feels like this movie has a target on its back because it's the last Snyderverse verse movie. Uh, you know, it, before we head into the new DC universe um, the last few DC movies have not been doing well. So it kind of feels like the dead horse that, that, the Hollywood trades are looking to kick, and then also the amber herd of it all. It's just this swirling mess of um, of stuff that you know. They're alleging that Jason Momoa, the star of Aquaman, was drunk on set in this uh, in this article. That's like in Variety's headline. That's not the kind of allegation that typically appears in the headlines of a trade publication, you know. But I feel like this movie and all of these circumstances surrounding it are kind of bringing out the worst in everyone again. Um, But what was your, your big takeaway from reading this report, Ryan?
1: It's a lot. I mean, I think like that, yeah, the opening chunk is a bit salacious, but like, I also think it does paint. I think in the end, if you take it as a whole, I think it paints a relatively fair, like sort of portrait of like, look, let's not pretend this movie, like, even if it does well, let's not pretend it was like a nice, you know, like smooth ride. Like, total mess behind the scenes for sure. And I think the biggest thing is that like, they kind of buried what could have been the leads in a lot of cases. Like they're saying that like, like, f- and this is variety by the way, one of the core trade publications in Hollywood, they're confirming that like, yeah, like none of the Snyder actors are going to reprise their roles in the coming J- DC reboot. Like, yes, you're going to have like, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller but like that there's a that and a couple others that's it like Jason Momoa is not coming back as Aquaman like that's what they confirmed here you and I had a huge talk about that like a couple of months ago like whether or not that would happen so there's some big stuff there and then they're even like pretty much confirming that like Momoa has had talks about starring as Lobo which has been a rumor on the internet forever so there's that stuff which is like so it is weird to me I agree with your point that like it's weird that they had that stuff in there but yet they're like leading with the like sort of salacious like Jason Momoa is drunk on set and I don't know what any I don't really know with any of that it just seems like yeah. movies a mess and I don't know and then the only other thing is that things the, the, the thing I ended up writing a bit more about for us is that there was a bit in here about like um, a lot of people on in Warner brothers camp are sort of convinced the company is going to be sold in a couple of years. So like, yeah, this is another
0: thing I wanted to talk to you about. So yeah, there's a lot of like the, the drama about the behind the scenes stuff, which kind of feels like a little too gossipy for my taste, but then there's like kind of a business aspect, which I thought would be more appropriate to talk about here, which is that it seems like, and and this is not, I should say, this is not uh, just variety sort of offering this up. This has kind of been like one of those, um, sentiments that's been floating around for a little while. I think uh, you know other podcasts, other business analysts, other you know Hollywood uh, watchers have kind of been speculating that what Warner Brothers Discovery has been doing has been trying to like essentially get their house in order and cut a bunch of costs to make themselves, um, I guess, uh, more appealing to somebody for, for somebody to buy that studio and this variety piece basically says that that could could happen here which is like i want to say it's the first time that i've seen you know a a reputable trade make that claim in in print that maybe a couple of them have have yeah. hinted at that in the past yeah. but um, but yeah what what i guess yeah what was your big takeaway there
1: i mean i've definitely seen it Discussed like in, and like you know, maybe maybe less direct, but like the rap, Hollywood Report. I've this has definitely been bandied about, and I think one of the reasons I like wrote a thing about it is like, okay, like this was sort of the last straw for me, but like this has been talked about enough where I think we should at least address it, right? Like, because the idea that some people might forget ATT purchased Time Warner. after years of litigation in 2018 and like an $83 billion deal only for three years later to sell Warner media to discovery because they hated being in Hollywood so much, Mm -hmm. like they hated the business model so much they were willing to lose billions just to get out of the business. You know? So, so every time one of these things happens, you're dealing with like layoffs, change in corporate attitude, uh, loss of, you know, movies and TV shows, like it's a mess every single time. And it just yeah. keeps happening. Like this happened with Disney and Fox that it happened. It's, uh, it's and the thing, the one thing that I can tell you for certain, sure, it's going to keep happening. And so the big point that I made, the, the, the big point of speculation in Variety's article is that the most likely candidate to purchase Warner brothers in a few years would be universal and NBC universal, meaning like ultimately it's Comcast. You're talking Peacock. You're talking universal pictures. Like that's all under the same corporate umbrella. And so, the, the, the main bigger point people should probably understand here is that like whether or not it's universal is sort of a moot point. The point would be Warner Brothers might again go through a messy merger. And the reason for all of this is because as you have Disney and you have some of these major, much bigger fish in the sea, not all of these streaming services are going to survive. Whatever the new normal is, it's going to revolve around streaming because traditional TV is slowly dying. So basically what's going to happen for everyone to survive, you're going to have to have like just a few big companies left standing because otherwise they won't be able to exist. So like Universal and Warner Brothers combining powers would make a company big enough to probably survive. Similarly, you could have like Universal and Paramount maybe. That's also what we've talked a little bit about like Disney possibly bidding getting acquired by apple and like that's why these things are happening so like whether or not this specific deal happens this is just evidence that like get ready because this stuff's not done yet
0: yeah man it's really depressing i know we've talked about some of this stuff before but like that level of consolidation is um it's just upsetting to me on like a visceral level um you know i, I feel like there was a lot lost in the disney fox acquisition agree not only um you know like the opportunities that could have been offered to filmmakers and people taking their projects to different studios like removing a player a major player like that takes one off the board and and that's one fewer person left to say yes to your you know to your project if you're pitching yeah ultimately what we're talking about
1: is less competition right like so so what you're talking about is like these people don't have to compete with each other so like uh, HBO makes Game of Thrones. Well, then Netflix and everyone else is like, we kind of need to try to find an answer to Game of Thrones. That creates a lot of peak TV. If you only have three or four studios left and three or four streaming services, you're not getting as much of that. Um, and and we're probably headed toward a place where that's more what it looks like. Um, just because, honestly, someday someone's going to write a book about how this is all Netflix's fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And like, and like, I, 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 a little thing in our slacker like i'm I, look i st- study this stuff a bit but like you can trace a line from like netflix deciding to get into original content making streaming seem like the way to go uh, everyone deciding to get into that game e- exclusivity becoming the key the pandemic forcing everyone to accelerate that streaming timeline the pandemic sort of cooling down and then like subscriber growth tapping out and then everyone losing money that they can't con- continue to lose yep which is kind of where we're at now which is where all this like all these shows and movies are getting axed and all these like things are happening where like it's so it's just now we're in the messy part we're like what happens now yep. and and this is like, it's all Netflix's fault. <laughs> so, like, Yeah, it really you know, is. Yeah, it, I and, mean, and, you know, it, not that they not that like Netflix was like, this was our plan all along, but this is like, this is what happened when all of this and like in, in some way, like the strikes were sort of pinned more on Netflix than anyone else because like they led the streaming charge and a lot of this had to do with streaming residuals and all these yep. other problems. So like, it's all, you know, again, someone is going to write that, but maybe it'll be me someday. I probably not. But, but like someone's going to write that book about it. Netflix. I hope it's.
0: I hope it's you, Ryan. I hope that I get to read a book that you've written one day. Um, (laughs) But but, yeah, so uh, that's the larger
1: point. Even if this doesn't happen, like it's important for people to understand, like this is not over. And in the next year or two, we're going to hear more about some of these mergers and more things are going to happen. You're going to lose more shows, more whatever, like it's all going to be messy and it's probably worse for the consumer.
0: Yeah, it's one thing for me to hear that like, you know, Peacock is going to go away or something maybe like that is going to be folded into a different streaming service or like Disney Plus and Hulu are going to merge or whatever, like to some degree that is it's a smaller level of what I'm talking about, where it's like that's that's taking pieces off the board and like that's one fewer streaming service that could say yes to your project. Like those those kind of um, underlying things are still in existence. But the idea of like a massive studio, like one of the core Hollywood studios like Warner Brothers being sold to universal is just like, so, um, it's, it's just fundamentally disturbing to me, you know, like the, the, the institutional knowledge that would be lost there, the, the, um, the history of it all. Uh, it's just, it's just, um, it, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me, you know, <laughs> like, there, well, there's look, just something... I agree with you, man. Like there's a point
1: where like, look, sometimes it makes sense. Like some of these smaller companies sort of like, you know, Lionsgate buying, you know, E1. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Like, that kind of makes sense. But like, yeah, you're talking about these legacy studios. Like, I'm with you, man. It sucked. Like, a lot of what was lost with Fox going to, you know, Disney sucked. And like, and there's going to be more of that. And, you know, I don't know. It's like, yeah, I just, I don't know what this all looks like in the end, but it's hard for me to envision a future that looks better. Like, the way that it's all going.
0: Yeah. And the ripple effects too are like some things that we're still, you know, we're still dealing with and and we can't even predict to some degree. Like I, I remember there being a lot of talk about like once Disney acquired Fox uh, or a lot of Fox's assets, like a lot of um, repertory theaters were not able to screen Fox movies in the same way, at the same clip, at the same rates that they used to before. Like Disney basically just like put all that, through all that stuff in a vault and like people aren't able to Screen those movies. So, like, you know, that was an entire ecosystem that has suddenly just been completely interrupted by a a corporate decision making. You know, uh, of that was way out of their hands. So, like, yes, this stuff happens all the time. Yes, this is kind of like how the world works or whatever. But like, it's just depressing to think about. So, I think the
1: thing is, like, on smaller scales, this stuff happens all the time. I think we're living through a period where, like, on the bigger scale, and like the other thing is, I didn't even get a chance to touch on this much in my article, but it's like. You have like U.S. regulatory stuff to like clear. But I think the problem is once that Disney Fox deal was approved and once like the at and Time Warner deal was approved, there's precedent now, yeah. you know, like. And so at what point, you know, that I don't know. It's like it's all it's all so crazy. And I think that the thing and like I, th- I guess what I would stress to people that are like, why do I care is like, OK, so many of you are upset right now. Like, why does Disney Plus keep getting more expensive? why is Hulu losing shows? Why is like this, that and the other thing it's because of stuff like this. And like when you're left with like four streaming services, they're going to be like a lot more expensive than they are now. Yeah. And like, and you know, like this, it, it uh, it all trickles down. And yeah, like, why is it that like when Halloween comes around and your local theater that shows old movies, isn't showing stuff owned by Fox or like when, you know, Christmas rolls around, you can't go see Die Hard in a theater. Well, it's because Disney owns it now and they do what they want with it. You yeah, know, like and yeah. so like that's why this stuff matters. And like, you know, my, it's it, it's 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 a little invisible to your average person. But like these decisions, these big mergers, these big uh, like media altering things trickle down huge effects to, to mess with the stuff that you enjoy. and And, you know, that's going to continue to happen
0: yes all right so on that happy note that's the end of today's show um thank you all for listening thank you ryan uh for joining me as usual on this fine tuesday and uh you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode the slash film show is published two times a week bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please subscribe to our newsletter send your feedback questions comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. That's B-P-E-A-R-S-O-N at slashfilm.com. Please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all next time.